You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Perhaps no one has done more for the reputation of Soren Kierkegaard in the English-speaking world than Howard and Edna Hong, who translated the vast majority of his writings from Danish. Their work is available in an accessible series of volumes from Princeton University Press, and our readers who have read a lot of Kierkegaard, or even much Kierkegaard at all, have probably encountered those editions. The Hong's other legacy, however, is the Hong Kierkegaard Library at St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota, the largest collection of books related to Kierkegaard outside of Copenhagen. You're listening to the first episode of a two-part series on Kierkegaard and the Hongs. This episode is a personal tour of the Hong Library given to me by Eileen Shimoda, the library's assistant, and Jamie Lorenzen, the chair of the Friends of the Kierkegaard Library. We were supposed to be joined by Gordon Marino, who's the director of the library, but unfortunately he was sick the day of the tour. For next week's episode, I'll be interviewing Jamie Lorenzen about his new book, Becoming Human. But for now, I hope you enjoy this tour, and that if you find yourself near Northfield, you visit the Hong Kierkegaard Library yourself. First, um, I just want to welcome everybody to the Hong Kierkegaard Library. It's really exciting to have you here on campus today. Um, as I, it's hard to know where to begin, but let me just think about the Hongs for a moment and where it actually began here on campus was on the sixth floor of Holland Hall. And that happened back in 1976, where um, Howard, a faculty member here on campus for many years, and before that was actually a graduate of St. Olaf, along with his wife Edna, who was also um, a graduate of St. Olaf, um, took it on as their mission in their retirement years to actually translate Kierkegaard's work into English. So not a project someone would take on <laughs> in their retirement years, um, but he did it and did it quite well. Um, the, the library actually started out with simply 8,000 volumes and um, has moved up to close to 20,000 volumes. In fact, you'll see in the library some of the things we're switching around to actually make more room for um, expansion. It just is incredible. Um, the resources we have here and the scholars who come each summer and just to give you a little bit about the scholars um, during the months of June and July we have scholars from all over the country and all over the world that come here to study Kierkegaard's work so last June and July for example we have 45 scholars 18 of which were international wow. we spend time doing a seminar couple times a week working with Gordon and at the end of the summer they're actually presenting their own work. For the month of July there's also two other opportunities where we have a Danish instructor teach Danish for a month so people can actually study Kierkegaard in his native tongue and then um, we also have a young scholars program for the month of July so it's for the philosophy students who have completed their four-year degree who want to spend a month here before going to grad school in philosophy or even think about going to grad school in philosophy or theology or, you know, a path that would make sense for them. So, while it seems quiet in the library today, <laughs> it's very, very busy in June and July and um, it just makes for a really exciting time, not only in the library, for campus as well. The, the Danish program, I assume, is eight hours a day? 
Yeah, it's, it actually goes from like 9 to 3, so it's about 6 hours a day, and several of our scholars take the Danish program as well. And it's, it's kind of funny because one scholar in particular, you know, he, in June he was all excited about Kierkegaard's work, and he was having so much fun researching him and reading all the information and you know, writing an article, and then he took the Danish course, and then he became overwhelmed. <laughs> and he said... When you hit a certain age, it's just hard to learn a new language. Especially one like so, Danish. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, it's not an easy one. I'm, I'm thinking of possibly sitting in on a few classes this summer and getting to know the language a little bit myself. But um, they find it quite fruitful in their study of Kierkegaard. Then, of course, everyone suspects if a little bit is lost in the translation from Danish to English in his work. So, I guess that's personal opinion. Um, but if we want to walk through the library a little bit, we can great. talk about the different things. So, um, as you can see, our library um, has signs, um, and, and it makes it really easy for the scholars to recognize which areas they, they want to look into when thinking about Kierkegaard and his work. If you look at our Kierkegaard one, you know, this is, these are the sources that are basically Kierkegaard is the author in different languages. And so we have very generous scholars who um, actually come here and study, and either with them they bring a gift of a book or they send a book in, in their different native language. So that's why we have so many different um, variations of Kierkegaard's works, and you know, Spanish, German, Dutch, <laughs> I mean, you name it, we have it. Um, and it's probably one of the reasons that our, our scholars will say, ones who have studied both in Copenhagen, and have you been to Copenhagen, Jamie? I have only once. Okay. And so many of the scholars will actually say that this particular library is better because it actually has more resources. The one in Copenhagen is the only other Kierkegaard library, yeah, right? Um, there's Primary, there's, major. Yeah, you're right. These are the two. These are the the two big libraries. Right, yeah. But this has also been, um, uh, Howard has, how both Howard and Edna um, looked at this library as, they, they, they never wanted to call this library a museum. They wanted to call it a working library, um, a, a working and a publishing library. Mm -hmm. um, so, so they created this library for people to use and not people to just come visit. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point, and that's something both Gordon and I definitely encourage. Um, we t in fact, this semester, you know, it was obvious for his philosophy class that studies Kierkegaard to come into the library, and so they did, but then he also teaches a class on ethics, and I suggested, hey, <laughs> let's get those kids in here as well, and so they did, and, you know, I... Uh, we did some other outreach to staff or groups on campus um, who actually it's been here since 1992 and so many people don't know where it is. So it's, it's really a goal to get more and more individuals and groups to recognize what they can benefit from here. Um, one of our computer science um, staff members on campus said, you know, is that okay if I come in and just read a book here? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly what you should be doing. And so even encouraging the religion majors on campus 
you know, because some of us feel that if you're studying religion, it's really important to study a little bit of Kierkegaard. I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> and his... at, a Lutheran, at a Lutheran college. Right, right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, more and more students are coming in here, which is great. Um, but, you know, the scholar program actually just kind of works on its own on how, you, how we advertise. We don't advertise much other than having a few links on our website. But it just is by word of mouth. Do you? How does that work? Do you apply to, to come? Is there a fee? Yep. No, there's not a fee. Um, and so the requirements are on our website and exactly what you need to do to apply. It's pretty straightforward. You, um, you know, need a couple letters of recommendation. You know, your past work as an academic, etc. And then um, you, if accepted, you're... Come to campus, um, you're welcome to stay the entire two months or two weeks or three days or whatever works for your schedule. And then we also provide housing on campus. Last summer, Rand Hall, which is a dorm room on campus, actually housed, <clears throat> you know, all the scholars. So it was a really nice way for them to form a community. And even on the off hours of the library, they were able to talk about Kirk. And that, that housing is free? And the housing wow. is free. Yeah, I know. It's a really good deal. What a great, yeah, that's a great program. <laughs> you know, another really special thing about this, about this library and just talking about how easy people come and go in this library is, um, and Gordon's really proud of this too. Gordon Marino is the curator of the library, um, uh, is um, how easily people can come and go into this library. Um, I know that both Gordon and Eileen are very proud of, uh, this is one of the very few big special collections libraries anywhere mm -hmm. where um, there, is, there is just an honor policy. There's no, electric, there's no electric gate on the front of the door or anything like that. Um, people come and go. Um, you can't take books out of the library. Right. But um, these are these are also books that aren't you know electronically programmed mm -hmm. <coughs> to buzz at the to buzz at the at the door. Does anything so, ever happen? Does anybody steal the books? Or? Um, you know, we I think the scholars do a good job of kind of monitoring each other, mm -hmm. and sometimes we'll have like a scholar who will forget, and all of a sudden they get back to their dorm room and come back the next day and say. I am so sorry. <laughs> I took this book, yeah. you know, and I'm like, you know, you brought it back. It's okay. Um, so when we get to the rare book room, we're a little more secure sure. um, with those. But, you know, the nice thing about electronics, too, is that nowadays you can scan a copy for yourself. So we're sensitive to copyright issues. <laughs> um, but, you know, that makes it available to should you need it for your work as well. Say, Eileen, I'd like to, I'm wondering also um, if we can maybe describe a little bit about where this, uh, where this is for, for your sure, listeners. Sure, yeah. And, um, and maybe if I could just say a few words Absolutely. just about the sort of the, where the library was before this place. Um, and that really requires going um, decades back. Um, Howard and Edna um, spent many years, regular, regular time over in Copenhagen, um, Howard was um, very much interested in trying to put together a, the, uh, as the very core of the, of the collection, the library, um, additions, n not that Kierkegaard himself owned, but additions, copies of additions that Kierkegaard would have used in his own library. 
Um, he, uh, Howard uh, looked at uh, many auction lists, and um, he would go into used bookstores, he would go to auctions. Um, the story and the story goes, he would save his lunch money <laughs> that he promised <laughs> Edna that, uh, that he would only use his lunch money to start buying these books back in the 40s and uh, shipping them back. Um, so one could say that the uh, first unofficial library was um, the porch and the, and the living room and the hallways of the Hong House. Um, until um, sometime in the I would imagine sometime in the 60s or mid-70s, mid um, Holland Hall 601 opened up. Holland Hall is this gorgeous um, building on St. Olaf campus, very imposing. Um, its twin is, actually its twin is in France. Oh. Um, I mean, it was modeled off of... Uh, and I can't remember. I can't remember the building. It's, um, I, I, I wrote about it in an essay once, but uh, uh, but it's modeled off um, a, a, a French building. Pauline described it as Hogwartsian. Yeah, Hog, yes, very Hogwartsian. Right, exactly. At any rate, and 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 so Howard um, uh, got the most perhaps most Hogwartsian room in the in in that building, the attic, um, which is. Cathedral ceiling, little windows, and um, you would get up. The philosophy department was in the fifth floor, and then there was this very dark and imposing <laughs> hallway that went up to this very black fire door, um, behind which was um, a fairly good-sized space um, for the for the for the. Uh, first primary Kierkegaard library on St. Olaf College to, to, to be established. Um, it was a lovely building. Um, it scared the fire marshals <laughs> terribly um, because Howard was um, uh, uh, a cigar smoker probably when he was in utero. It's just, <laughs> there, always seemed to be, there always seemed to be a cigar out of his mouth. Um, and he lived <laughs> amazingly <laughs> into his 90s. 90s. <laughs> okay. Um, so at any rate, um, it was a very smoky library. Um, he was not very concerned uh, about the uh, how how that smoke might affect how that smoke might affect the the additions. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it was very much a working library up there. Um, there were uh, uh, index cards everywhere. There, this was this was pre-digital, pre-digital age. Um, um, it was just amazing how I mean, and, and there was a, a a strange 19th century quality to the to that whole library, um, which seems appropriate. Yeah, it seemed quite appropriate. It was um, it was a lovely, lovely space. But, um, and in part against, I think, Howard's wishes, he understood that by the time he was going to depart from this land, um, uh, the library needed to move. And uh, a space from, it, so we start at the, at the attic, 601 Holland Hall, and we go down to a lower level, a basement, with windows. So it's a, it, it, it's a but it's still sort of a lower level of Rollvog Library, which stands 
adjacent just north of, How, of, of Howlett Hall. Rollvog Library, the, the, probably the, the age of the two buildings, Eileen, mm -hmm. are probably the same. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful limestone um, uh, castle-like, um, both of these. These are probably the two most extraordinary buildings on campus. So we go from the top of the... Um, uh, of, a, of a building that houses the, the uh, philosophy department and at least at that time economics and uh, maybe some sciences, um, uh, some social sciences. Uh, we go down to, the, to uh, essentially the basement of Rollvog Library. Um, there's other special collections in this basement area, the Scandinavian... Yep, so there's Naha, which is actually in the North American Historical Association. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's just the, simply the St. Olaf College Archives. Oh, yeah, right. And um, so it's, it's kind of exciting to have our own little niche. Mm -hmm. um, at, and at the same time, with being located in the library we connect a lot with the library upstairs and a lot And that's the main library. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so. There's, we're also kind of at the end of, of well, um, if you can imagine what this room was or what the Kierkegaard Library was before it was the Kierkegaard Library, it was a very large, I, I, I seem to remember it as a, as an, Reading room, but I, I think it was like a. Do you remember what the what the? I, I hear from alum who actually come back and say, "I needed to see what happened to that space." But it sounds to me like it was a great big study space, huge cavernous space. Yes, yes. Um, with some periodicals, I remember it. It, it is a it is a massive, high ceilinged uh, room. The length of Rollvog Library it was one one room at that time. And it was just below the major reference room mm -hmm. that also had these sort of cathedral-like ceilings, or, or high, high ceilings, not cathedral ceilings, but very mm -hmm. high ceilings, just, just above, which is part of the main library. So there, you have this room, I don't know, this must be at least um, 40 feet wide by um, 100 200 feet long. It was one room at one time. And then when the Kierkegaard Library was developed, um, offices were created behind a beautiful um, uh, walled facade that um, uh, have the lovely windows that overlook um, the, uh, Saint Olaf, one edge of St. Olaf College toward Carleton College, which is, which is the other college in town. And uh, so there was a, a, there's a bank of offices, and then we're currently in the main room mm -hmm. of the library, which Eileen will tell you a little bit more about in a second. And then there are other smaller uh, special collections, special special collections rooms that right. we'll go to. But um, but that's kind of the space that we're in. Um, and I think we want to note that actually rather than closing up the high ceilings that so many people like to do, they actually used glass. So the, the offices are still private, but, you know, the top one-third of the, the room is actually glass that serves as a sound barrier but keeps the, the, you know, the beautiful stenciling and whatnot along the corridor at the top of the ceiling here. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, it, it was a pretty good 
Argue architectural move mm-hmm. yeah, to right. actually keep you know some of the character sure. rather than just you know the lowered ceilings that you don't want it to look like a cell in there right right you know. this library was this library came into being while Howard and Edna were still alive um, and so uh, I knew that this would happen I uh, we're, we're standing right next to a sign by the way that says. No smoking in the building. Alarms will sound. <laughs> and I would imagine that that was originally put there um, to remind Howard. This means you. That this means you, Howard. Um, uh, as a result, um, Howard, Howard, in in the, the sort of the very late translations that Howard was working on as this library was being developed, um, Howard did his work at home. <laughs> he he was he was only pretty much a visitor of this library, and I think that's in some ways I think that's fitting as well. Um, I was really um, I was um, I knew that it was a very difficult move for Howard to make, but I think he knew that it was the right move. It is a beautiful space, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a storied space, and um, and and it's still but it still car- carries sort of the. Um, um, the, the feeling of it, the, the feeling of the uh, 601 library as well, uh, Holland Hall 601 library. And I think there's especially a couple of things to note within this library. One is the replication of the Kierkegaard writing desk. Oh, look at that! Yeah, and that's actually that sits it's right here. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so the story goes is that Kierkegaard spent much of his time standing and writing. He was ahead of his time, huh? Yeah, yeah like, he was. like we do now with a computer desk that can go up and you can stand by him instead. So um, that was actually built and donated to the library. So you know that's a piece that that initiates conversation. As well as, you know, as we think about technology, you know, it hits everywhere. And so the card catalog that you find with many notes and whatnot on the different card pieces um, is no longer used, <laughs> but rather, you know, is, is um, actually in the bridge system. But you still have it here. We do. I don't think anybody can quite let go of it. And um, I'm an antique collector myself. Yeah, so if you do, I, I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's... It's just really a treasure, you know. And then um, another thing I want to be sure to note is actually the statues um, pieces of Howard and Edna Hong. Oh, how nice. Yeah, and so that is something I I wish you could, you know, take a picture of and put on your blog, but probably not a possibility, but... Are they bronze? Yeah. um, Yeah, they're bronze. They are, and actually um, one of the... Often we have um, different members of the Hong family come and visit. And so they came one Friday, and um, it was actually the great-grandchildren who sat up on the table here, and we took a picture, and, you know, that was pretty memorable for them. Um, so, you know, there's some really nice pieces that are is worth visiting the library. <laughs> there's also um, on the walls lots of uh, rather extraordinary pieces of artwork um, from uh, people who are uh, part of the St. Olaf College landscape. Um, this most extraordinary piece is a, it is called Despair and Hope, and it is wrought from a, a, an, an amazing piece of wood 
um, describe, sort of picturing uh, a, a, a person with arms stretched out um, above him or her, um, and the and the face of this of this person is um, just part of a, the naughty, a, a, a naughty part of this piece of wood. At any rate, it's by Arnold Flotten, and Flotten was. Um, uh, uh, also a storied and fabled um, art professor, mm-hmm. and um, really part of the really part of the the, the Saint Olive College uh, ethos for 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 um, decades. In, in words, I mean, cannot describe this piece. You, like yeah. it, it is worth visiting the library just to just see to this see thing. that piece, yeah. just to see that piece. Yeah. Um, and then, the, so there's there's beautiful artwork, um, statues of Kirchhoff and. Mm-hmm. Um, um, portraits of of, of other uh, uh, Kierkegaard scholars. Malinchuk, I, I, Malinchuk, I believe, is is there's a portrait of um, this Kierkegaard scholar whom um, Howard, whom Howard deeply admired and respected and worked with. So. Um. Maybe it's just easiest to just kind of run down the different sections of our library. Sure. So um, we talked about the Kirk one with Kirk um, Kierkegaard being the main, the, the author, basically, in, in the different languages. Um, the Kierkegaard two then, of course, is um, he is a primary source in, um, in the work that's associated with these books. And Related thinkers. Right. That, that's the next section. Oh, okay. And so then, if we move on to the related thinkers, that's um, different different works that are strongly influenced by Kierkegaard. Which I point out I, to our readers, John Updike has a uh, prominent section here. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of. I think for most work, they're um, inspired one way or another. Um, another really important thing is to re- recognize our reference section. And that can be anything from, you know, uh, a dictionary in Spanish to a dictionary in German to some reference materials that really help the scholars better understand his work and use as a resource for this kind of materials. Eileen, I remember, excuse me for interrupting, but mm-hmm. I remember, I remember this, the top bank of these old wooden, yep. these are beautiful oak, mm-hmm. oak um, uh, library um, Shelves, but at the uh, that they stand about five and a half, six six feet high, and uh, on the top, as I recall, there were loads of blue books, which were dissertations, yes. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dissertations. But maybe that those have been moved elsewhere in the library. Yeah, actually, we are in the process of moving. As I mentioned before, that we are running out of space, mm-hmm. and so we're trying to rethink how we can categorize things mm-hmm. to make. It most useful for our scholars, the easiest access. And one of the things we talked about is that the dissertations are important, but we have all this office space with beautiful library shelves, again, the beautiful oak library shelves that can house these dissertations. So obviously the scholars can find it, um, bridge exactly where they're located, and then they can go to the various offices to look for these d- different dissertations. And so typically when a scholar comes and they might finish their PhD or they just feel like they want their dissertation here, they actually you know, have it bound and sent to us as a gift. 
So Jamie is right. We have like hundreds. <laughs> and this whole shelf and that whole shelf is full. And as we walk by the offices, you will see that they are now located in the different offices. Do you just buy every book that comes out on Kierkegaard? Um, no, we actually, Lease is our... Um, basically our kind of our main library liaison. We also work with the librarians upstairs. Um, and she, she filters through which ones make sense. And we are a little bit in the process of thinking, now that we have such a huge collection, do we continue to keep buying, buying, buying everything? Or sure. do we need to streamline a little bit and say what makes the most sense now? Since Maybe you should just get St. Olaf to build you your own building. <laughs> that would be lovely. <laughs> that would be great. Um, so, you know, it's she just does a great job. Obviously, Gordon Marino, our curator, you know, keeps up on a lot of this, and he has just such a keen eye on recognizing this is a good one, this isn't, this isn't, this is. And, you know, we have many gifts or, you know, people... You know, people go to garage sales or wherever, the book fair in Northfield, and bring books. And, you know, we might have three, four copies of it already. And so you'll notice it's, it's kind of sparse right now, but out in the lobby area there, we have usually a free books section. Oh, wow. And so students come, staff come, sometimes faculty come, and um, they actually, you know, just are allowed to take whatever book can work for them. I'll have to see what I can grab yeah, on my way out. Absolutely. And it, and it goes the other way as well. Um, one of our philosophy department is actually moving into a library while Holland Hall is getting renovated. And so one of the professors had just like an aisle of books. You can't even describe how many books were out on the, his free books. <laughs> and so we had a few people who were like watching for ours and, and brought us books and said, here, this one's a Kierkegaard. Thought you might need it. So it's, it's really kind of wonderful that we have people looking out for us. So if we want to walk down this way, Again, as Jamie mentioned, we have beautiful offices that work extremely well for the scholars who need, you know, a, a spot to study. Some of them need, like, a quiet space. Um, at the end of that hall is an office that is actually housed for the year by one of our scholars who is a House Foundation fellow. And he is studying from September 1st until August 31st. So he's actually home for the holidays right now, but... He has about, you know, 100 books on his desk, and he has the ability to look through them and use them for, you know, future scholarly work, whether it be an article, book, whatever. And he's housed here to do nothing but the research. He right. doesn't teach a class or anything like that. No, no, he doesn't. Um, we also had another scholar who was here simply for the fall. It was actually his third... 13th time here. <laughs> and he was invited to um, teach a couple classes on campus just because he's made so many connections sure. already. And you can guess who I'm talking about. Um, there was, I, I actually, there's a couple of a couple of people who would fit that bill, but. Um... It's actually Leo. Pardon me? Leo Stan. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's. Eileen, can you say something a little bit about this? Uh, we're sort of near in the sort of the main part, uh, still in the main part of the library, um, near the high table um, and near the, the the front door of the special collections library. But there's a there's a uh, there's a table under which um, 
a glass table, and there are some very old books under here. Um, and some of them are pretty significant. Um, primarily, Eileen, I don't know how many, I, I don't know how many um, of these books are signed by Kierkegaard, but there are, there are uh, I, I see at least three uh, original signatures of, of Kierkegaard. Um, anything else that you can tell me about yeah. this? Because I, I don't know much about these, but, but these right. are... Right. Um, and, and there's clearly, there's, there's, a, there's an original, uh, there's a couple of original or first edition Kierkegaard texts in here. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a very small, there's a very small book that not only is under glass, but under plastic. <laughs> and it is, the, it is, I think, one of the more extraordinary signatures mm -hmm. of Kierkegaard, and it is a little, um, Kierkegaard kept um, a, a small um, uh, pocketbook of, of, of Christian Winther's poetry that, I can't remember what, I, uh, I don't know Danish, um, so I can't read, I can't read this, but, but it was a, 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 a small book that he was known to keep in his in his um, breast pocket yep. and um, the date Kierkegaard signed this was 18, 1840 and it's um, a rather extraordinary little, little book and um, actually unfortunately I don't have a lot more information so I talked to my student worker about when he returns from break one of the things we're going to do is actually a little bit of more research on the particular items in here because I, too, think they hold great value and we have little tidbits of information, but not enough. And so he is a librarian at heart, <laughs> and so this is going to be a task that he and I will work on together. So um, if you want to update, give us a couple months and we'll have the information you need. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. But yeah, it's, it's wild to see his signature. Yeah, it really is. And it's a good signature. Here. I mean, look at that. Yeah. And then, Amazing. Yeah. It's like he knew it was going to be on display one day. Well, gosh. Yeah, uh, yeah isn't, that, isn't that interesting? I, I'm, his handwriting is, as any, you know, any writer of the 19th century, um, their handwriting is sometimes just beautiful. And... Uh, it's when your handwriting mattered. Well, and since so. we don't speak Danish, yeah, all, all we have, you know, all it looks like is handwriting. Yeah, what we have, is, we don't have to yeah. worry about that's what it right. says. That's right. Although, you know, it says Kierkegaard. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing that's worth noting is, you know, not only do the offices have beautiful windows looking outside, as Jamie mentioned before, there's artwork throughout, and you know. It would be a very long podcast if we talked about all the artwork in here. <laughs> and our powers of expression would have to be amazing. And here's, you know, and this portrait is also worth noting. Um, I kind of joke that it's like the, the James Dean, <laughs> uh -huh. um, you know, picture of Kierkegaard, which I understand he wasn't quite that. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the very famous handsome yeah. portrait. <laughs> right, right, right. Of a young Kierkegaard. Yeah. As opposed to the the other famous one is where he has a hunchback. Right. You wonder which one of them is true. Yeah, I know. It's a little disappointing if it wasn't true because then he's kind of known for that. But um, 
as Jamie mentioned before, this is an important room. This um, is the Danica collection. So um, most of this is in Danish, um, which um, unfortunately gets only so used um, in our collection because Danish is not as common as some languages. I think be. most people who learn it probably learn it to read Kierkegaard. Right, right. So... I think, if you'd like, we can move on to the rare book room. That sounds good. I think Una Muno learned Danish just to read Kierkegaard. Yeah, he did. That's another right. one we That's studied right. in the class. That's right. So, for example, we talked about the dissertations. We're in the process, but they will all be located in the various offices. You have not been here before, right? I have not, no. Okay, so um, Jamie started to talk a little bit about the rare book room in the other room. So this is actually the You can room. smell those cigars in here, yeah. can't yeah. you? My goodness. It's a, it's a climate-controlled room uh, with a, a, a glass ceiling. Um, the room has one, two, three, four stacks that are within a walled shelving. Um, the room is square. It's probably um, um, 30, 40 feet, 40 feet by 40 feet, I'd probably say, something like that. Uh, but it is climate controlled. Um, and, uh, and and that's, that's critical for some of these books. Even though Howard was always very proud of, um, of um, old books and the durability of, of uh, the almost sort of acid-free uh, durability of, 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 of old books. Just the parchment and, 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 and how they were made. Yeah, it's um, basically much of this library is meant to serve as a replication of Kierkegaard's library, actually. And so a lot of the work is in Danish and German. Um, it's worth spending some time in here to just something about holding an old book that's pretty amazing. Um, one of the things you may or may not have noticed in our main library is the library, St. Olaf Library, actually took on, you know, the cost and the effort of putting plastic covers on all our books in our collection to help preserve their lives, <laughs> their book lives. Um, and the conversation is being had on would we do that with the books in here is not. You know, when do you gauge preserving a book longer versus keeping it in its original form? So often in, in special collections like these, you know, people are asked to wear gloves or, you know, just very particular. We have not done that. Um, but, you know, people are allowed to use these who come to the library, but they have to check it out. And, you know, we, we don't allow people to scan them. If there's something really important that they want scanned, we as staff members will scan it. But we definitely handle these books with care. How, how often do people use them? Um, during the summer, like June and July, often. Hmm. Often. And, you know, we had one scholar who just figured out that he could take a picture of it with his phone 
And so kept taking pictures of the pages, and that was his way of scanning it. Um, it was for his own use, of course, um, but it's just, it's, it's a pretty incredible, incredible... And none of these Research. books were actually owned by Kierkegaard, right? Th those books are under glass in the main right, main room. Right. So exactly. But these are these are the same editions that he might have owned. Right. Exactly. And studied. And then you know, um, part of this is you know Edna, which we sometimes forget to mention, was also an author, and so she had written several books, and so some of her collection is here. And so, you know, um, usually if we ever have duplications of her work in, on the free book table, her work will go quite quickly. Hmm. So she's, she's a lovely writer. So um, if you get some time, it's, it's wonderful to read her work as well. So, uh, you know, this is a really hard place to describe because there's something about walking into a room like this and just feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm not sure what else we can say about how, it. How are they organized? Um, that's, you know, again, we, we have the Kirk 1, Kirk 2, and we have different s sections that are strictly, you know, here we go, Howard Hong collection. And it's basically how it... How it works again. This we talk about reorganizing. We're thinking about how can we better organize this accordingly. Um, I didn't know if you you found out how Kierkegaard organized his own library. Oh no, that, that would have been kind of cool. I wonder if he did. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, um, I don't know either. It seems a little too systematic for him, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But yeah. uh, but but there's there's an order even in Kierkegaard, <laughs> and. Um, his, I can't remember how large his own collection was or what the auction um, listing was. Um, I, and and, I'm, and like I say, I'm not quite sure about this, but I was thinking on the order of 2,000 volumes. Which is huge like that. for that yeah. time. Um, I, I feel like that's a accurate number as well. Uh, but strangely enough, though, you know, for a scholar of that magnitude... Um, uh, and I, I think I think Boris Pasternak says at one point Russian novelist Pasternak um, uh, pits him against pits Kierkegaard against Nietzsche, and at the very end of his, this uh, beautiful piece that Pasternak writes, <clears throat> um, he's he talks about the 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 lesser how the lesser read Soren Kierkegaard knew it all. <laughs> and then just sort of putting, putting Nietzsche in the, in the, in the dust. Um, mm -hmm. But it is, as Eileen said, it, this is, as any rare book room is, it's, it's, it's very visual. Um, these old, there's, most of these books are pre-1856. Mm -hmm. um, these, are, these are beautifully bound books. Um, um, in in the old in just old European way, um, there are um, editions of Aristotle that um, that Kierkegaard himself used. Not editions, actual copies that he used, but uh, copies of editions that he used. There's beautiful, complete volumes of or um, sets of Goethe, um, German German Romanticism. Um, um, 
let's see, I'm just looking around here. Um, there are Bibles, um, there are um, just philosophical editions of all, of all kinds, and, uh, but it, it is really a visual display of, um, of great um, craftsmanship in just the, the making of, of these books. The work that must have gone into compiling this room, you know? Was decades, uh, decades and decades in the making, as I, as, as I mentioned before. Um, Howard, um, uh, he, he, he spent m many, many moons uh, in Copenhagen and other major cities in Europe um, finding, uh, finding a, a, lot of these, a lot of these texts. Does this book say tutti frutti? <laughs> <laughs> kind of looks like that, doesn't yeah. it? I wish I could tell you otherwise. And, you know, our, our special collections um, department upstairs in Rohag are very much committed as well to preserving the quality and, and you know, the moving forward in a good way for the Kierkegaard Library to make it accessible to as many people as possible. So this collection, this collection didn't end with Howard Hong, then they're still no, finding no, new books. No, it did not. Um, new old books. Right. You know, Julia Watkins um, was, do you know of Julia Watkins? Mm -hmm. I, and I did not, I never met her, uh, but uh, Julia Watkins was a, um, uh, she, she died some years ago mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. uh, a, uh, another storied Kierkegaard scholar um, who lived in Tasmania and um, Hobart and she taught Kierkegaard there and she has written dictionaries on Kierkegaard terms and, uh, a most extraordinary woman um, by uh, the accounts of, of other Kierkegaard scholars who knew her but she, when she died, Eileen, help me out here. Did so, she? So go she, ahead, she actually it. donated her collection, her whole collection, to, to this library. Mm -hmm. Wow! And, and so, and and also resources that we have a Julia Watkin lecture every fall. Mm -hmm. So this past fall, it was actually John Poling, mm -hmm. um, and you know, inviting both scholars and students to attend the lecture. Mm -hmm. um, her memory lives on through mm -hmm. her donation to the library mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, just her work to the, to the academic community. So, you know, we've, we've been very fortunate. Very generous people have either donated books or money or to the cause in one way or another to, to preserve the, the integrity and also to bring the library forward. So... Mm -hmm. Very fortunate. Very fortunate. Mm -hmm. so it's a very. It's another thing I can't describe, um, but it's very much a feeling of peace and serenity in this library. Mm -hmm. And I think when people come in, I, I sense it right away. Um, and and people agree with me every time. <laughs> they say, yes, it is. It's you know. It's great. There's we, some more shelving back there. We don't normally associate peace and serenity with Kierkegaard. <laughs> you know, I know, but it seems like the more you read, the more, I don't know, I kind of, I guess it depends what you read of his work, of course. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I, I find great peace and serenity in what he has to say, and I don't know, very powerful. So I'm, 
as, as you recognize, and when you came into the library, outside of it is, is just a great lounge area that students, especially, especially during finals week, have just kind of camped out over there. <laughs> and they were sleeping on the couches, and I tried to provide coffee for them every day <laughs> during finals. That's very nice of you. And, you know, same is true with our scholars. That just is a really a hub for just gathering um, together and talking about Kierkegaard or whatever else might, you know, hit the topic of the day. But it's very comfortable here. Um, I think a big part of that is Professor Gordon Marino. He really makes people feel comfortable and at home, and you sense that with the scholars. You know, sometimes in academia you can feel a sense of competition a little bit, um, and I, you just don't feel that. And, and rather it feels very much like a community, and it's one of the reasons I love being in this library is that there's this idea that we all learn from one another. And no idea or thought is criticized, but rather built on. <laughs> and so the conversations are really quite engaging in summer. And yeah, it's a good place. Um, Gordon, uh, as curator of this library, as the, as the current curator of the library, really, um, uh, with his tenure here, um, Gordon made it, I think, a really important mission to bring scholars in here from all over the world. Um, this is one of the things that Howard wanted mm -hmm. done with this library. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, it's a working library. It is, um, uh, and it's an important working library. Um, uh, I think this, this whole endeavor of Howard and Edna Hong uh, and the library itself started out in order to have the resources available to do translations. Um, but Howard also saw uh, how this library could then um, sort of metamorphose into um, a library that scholars from everywhere could, uh, could come and, um, and work with a certain amount of peace and serenity right. um, uh, and quiet um, and um, a sort of a, uh, a solitude that, that that quiet offers. And it's been good for the college. I mean, under, uh, for a certain number of people, this is what St. Olaf is best mm -hmm. known for. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. I, I feel like... Um, you know, I'm not sure if you have any questions or anything else you want to mention. Um, no, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for this tour, Eileen and Jamie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks welcome. for the opportunity.